Welcome to the New England Football Journal podcast. I'm John Serenitas, and as always, I'm joined by Kevin Stone. Kevin, how are you on this fine day? John, I'm doing good, man. How are you doing? I'm doing all right, man. It's been a really tough week, obviously, and it's been a Look, it's been a tough few months, but it's been a really tough week since last Monday. Mm-hmm. Obviously, as everyone well knows, what's going on around our country with um, these riots um, that were a direct result of the death of George Floyd last Monday in Minnesota at the hands of a Minneapolis police officer. Um, and I guess that's where we could start with our opening drive, Kevin. And, and if you wouldn't mind, I'd like to get us started there. Um Obviously, this is some deep and heavy stuff. And, and look, we're a we're a, a New England football uh, podcast, and we're a New England football blog. So I don't know how much we're gonna we're gonna solve on our end. I, I, I you know, I mean, I guess I think the important thing is is to talk about it, right? Yeah. I, I think we have to be willing to talk about it because I think a lot of this stuff is is deep. It's heavy. And, and look, there's a lot of resentment there, and there's a lot of resentment there uh, for a long time. And so I think that in many ways, as a country, we're coming to terms with it now. So I guess my opening drive is, you know, I think if America adopted the mentality of, of, a, of a sports locker room or a football locker room, I think in some ways we could be okay. And the reason I say that is, is in 25 years of coaching football, one of the things that I've enjoyed coaching foot, one of the things I should say that I've enjoyed about coaching football is the fact that football is a very diverse sport. There's kids and, and, and coaches that come from all walks of life that, that are involved in football. And, and it's one of the few places in my life where I haven't seen people necessarily be judged on their skin color, their background, or where they're from. You're judged on your ability to develop and contribute as a member of the team. But you're not going to be judged on your appearance. You're not going to be judged on your skin color. You're not going to be judged on where you come from. It is really a unique place. And in many ways, it's one of the few places in America where it, it is judge free, where people embrace and accept each other because they have a common goal. And that goal is to win a championship. And so in many ways, I would love to see America, Kevin, adopt that mentality where we don't judge people on the basis of their skin color but rather we judge them on their character and who they are as people. And, and I would love nothing more than to see our country operate that way. There's no place in our society for racism. There's no place in our society to judge people and to oppress people because of the, the, the color of their skin or where they're from. And, yeah. and if we as a society can embrace some of that mentality, that is found in a sports locker room where people come together and embrace each other because they have a common goal, I think we'd be better off. Yeah, I mean, I, we usually kind of go on separate routes on this opening drive, but um, I just want to piggyback off what you're saying. I couldn't agree more. Um, again, I have never been in a football locker room per se, you know, as a player, but uh, growing up playing youth sports and, and being in lacrosse locker rooms in high school and, and just around sports in general, um, they truly are the answer, not the answer, but um, one of the answers to a lot of problems. Um, and I think if everyone just kind of, again, appreciates that whole locker room mentality and, and the fact that everyone's here or there um, in this case for one goal and one goal only, uh, I think it, it'll help a lot more people kind of centralize their focus on, on things getting better. 
Yeah, and that's what it's really all about. I mean, it's unfortunate that George Floyd was killed. It's unfortunate that the result of that has been the rioting and the looting and the destruction. And I think that's where there's a disconnect. And I think if we approached this societally as we do in a football or sports locker room where we put our differences aside and come together for common good, I think if we use that approach here where we we looked at the situation and said, you know what, rioting and looting and destroying property and and physically hurting people isn't going to fix this problem. What's going to fix it is is people on on both sides of the aisle, white and black or or white and minority facing each other and talking about what they can do to come together and help each other. Mm -hmm. Okay. What can we as white people do to make black people feel like they're more included, that they have the same rights as us, that they have the same opportunities as us, that they are safe in their communities? What can we do to ensure that they feel that way? Because they should feel that way. We're all Americans. Right. And so I think it's so important. Conversely, I think it's important that they listen to us as well as as white individuals and, and hear us out. Because I think that that's how you're going to fix this is when we come together, we bond together and we walk together down a road of becoming one, because I think that's what it's about here. And and look, racism, you know, it's funny because you hear the term systemic racism all the time, Kevin, and and I don't want to get political here, but (laughs) I don't necessarily think racism is systemic in this country anymore. We're not living in, in, in the Jim Crow South here. I think racism is ingrained in our society. I think it's a societal problem. I think it's a social issue. And I think if we want to cure this evil, the best way to do that is to do it at home and is to do it with the way we interact with each other and, and how we respect each other. And I think that's so important. And, and, you know, I'm so tired of hearing people defending the rioting and the looting, and that's what gets people's attention. And that's how, that, that, that's how you get change. And it's the only way you're going to get change bullcrap okay i was a history major in college i'm a history teacher no yeah a lot of those movements may gain an initial reaction or or an initial advantage and yes in some instances these types of movements have been agents of change if you will but if you but but in this day and age if you really want that change that we're all craving for where we want this equality it's got to start with civil discourse and people just simply talking to each other and until we do that you can destroy all the stores you want you can burn all the police cars you want nothing is going to change and i'm going to leave it at that um because again i don't want to get too political here but if we embrace this idea that we share a common goal which is to come together and be equal if we can somehow get to a place where we can embrace that idea i think we can get there all right let's let's uh, turn our attention here to the patriots uh, there's been some speculation the last couple of weeks, and you talked a little bit about this last weekend on anyfootballjournal.com, uh, about Brian Hoyer and Jared Stidham. Now, of course, Rob Ninkovich, former Patriot outside linebacker slash defensive end, came out and said a couple of weeks ago that he could see a scenario because of what's happened with COVID-19 and not having OTAs and minicamp and the possibility of a shortened training camp. He can see a scenario where Brian Hoyer starts – the season off as the Patriots starter. Even if even if Jared Stidham is better than him, he could see the Patriots turning to Hoyer early on so that they can get off to a good start potentially and he can 
right the ship, if you will, with his experience. Do you buy that? So I'll start by saying I buy it only because, look, Nikovich is obviously tied in. Uh, he obviously, you know, still talks to plenty of people there, I would assume. So uh, that worries me a little bit that he might have, you know, some inside info. But uh, I just don't think it's the way to go. Uh, look, if you're going to have if you're going to have everything shortened and, and all that stuff, it's not like he's a true rookie. Uh, he has been here for, you know, all of last season. And, and I don't think he necessarily will have the problems, you know, getting acclimated that a true rookie might have. Uh, with that, with the um, the short training camp and all, so uh, I just like the idea of letting letting us see what this kid has and and letting the coaching staff see what he has. And I don't like the idea of starting with Hoyer. And you know, I heard something today. You know, what if he starts five and zero, six and zero, but those games are all thirteen ten or or ten seven? You know, you have no idea what you have instead of still, and your ceiling really isn't that high with Hoyer. Um, so I just don't think it's the way to go to start the season. Uh, and I think I know you feel uh, pretty much the same way, I think. Yeah, no, I do. Look, I think if they're even, it's Jared Hoyer's job. I'm Jared Hoyer. It's Jared <laughs> Stidham's job. I think if Brian Hoyer is better for whatever reason, then I think you have a decision to make. But the bottom line is the Patriots should prepare as if Jared Stidham is going to be their starting quarterback. I know they value Hoyer's experience. I know they value the fact that he's been in the system for a long time. I understand all that. But as far as I'm concerned, if Jared Stidham and Brian Hoyer are even or Jared Stidham is better, he's your starting quarterback. If Jared Stidham struggles over the summer and Brian Hoyer is better, now you've got a conversation. I still think it should be Stidham. And the reason I think that is this. You need to see what you have in him. Right. Because if he cannot be the guy, if he proves that he is not the guy, then that now you know that in 2021 you need a quarterback next offseason. You have to address that position for the long run. But you're not going to know if you need a quarterback if he doesn't play and put you in a position where you can evaluate him to make that decision. So I, I don't do I believe what Rob Ninkovich is saying? Yeah, I agree with you. He's pretty tied into the organization. So I'm sure he's not just making this up. I'm sure someone reputable has talked to him about that or someone that at least might have some inside knowledge. Yeah. But again, I think if they're even or Stidham is better, he starts over Brian Hoyer. I don't think there's any question. I think he has the physical tools to be the Patriots starting quarterback. To your point, this is his second year in the system. So at least he knows it and understands it. And while he might not have the in-depth knowledge that a Brian Hoyer has, he knows enough about this system and he has enough camaraderie with the guys that are here in terms of the receivers and the tight ends that he can step in at the and at the very least start. And from there, you can evaluate him and see if he could be your guy. But again, you, know, you never know with Bill Belichick, <laughs> right? Like you never know that. We know how much Belichick values his veterans. And we've seen that throughout his tenure here. We certainly saw it last year where they didn't play Nikhil Harry despite the fact that he was hurt. Even after he came back, they took it slow with him. They didn't throw him right out there right away. They value guys that have been around and understand their system. And I think from that standpoint and his experience, obviously Hoyer has an advantage. But I still think Jared Stidham is going to be their starting quarterback. It makes the most sense. Like I said, you got to see what you have in him. Best way to do that is for him to play. If he only plays a half a season, you're not really going to get a fair assessment of what he is and what he could be. 
All right, now speaking of Jared Stenham, I thought it was interesting recently that Phil Simms said that he thinks that Jared Stenham reminds him of Tony Romo. If you're a Patriots fan, should that excite you? Or does it not move the needle with you at all? Does it not resonate with you at all, Kevin? So there's two ways to look at this. At least, you know, that's the way I feel about it. First of all, if you have Tony Romo um, coming out of the draft, you know, a year or two later, and that's what you get for the next, let's say, five or six years, you've done pretty damn well for yourself. Uh, he was a consistent quarterback in this league, and, and to go from Tom Brady to, to Tony Romo, per se, uh, that's not a bad drop-off to have. But having said that, if he has the choking gene that Tony Romo had, then I want nothing to do with that. So um, player-wise, if he's Romo, great. You know, you don't have to necessarily rebuild on the fly or or go look for another quarterback. I mean, you have one that's going to at least get through the playoffs or, or be in the hunt. So, um, yes, it would move the needle, but um, I obviously hope he's better than Romo. Look, if he's Tony Romo, it's all about what you put around him. Right. Because if he's Tony Romo, you're a Super Bowl contender. Yeah. If he ends up being Tony Romo for his career, you're a Super Bowl contender. And I know people are probably going to think to themselves, what the hell is he talking about? <laughs> what is Romo? Then you have a shot to be a Super Bowl contender as far as I'm concerned. So the way I see it, it's all about what you put around him. So I look at it as, you know what? I'll take that because Tony yeah. Romo was a very good quarterback, physically talented quarterback. And to your point, he was steady. And I think mm -hmm. that's the key. He was steady. So the way I see it, I'll take that because do I think that's a good comp? Mm, I know it's hard to tell. I mean, Stidham's bigger. I don't think he's as, as athletic as Romo was coming out of college, but certainly if he's Tony Romo, at least now you know that the physical tools and the talent are there and he's consistent. Now it's about what do you put around him so that you can maximize his strengths. Now, staying with pro football, obviously I found it pretty fascinating this past weekend when Dave Portnoy, the founder of Barstool Sports, came out and announced that the NFL did a background check on him. Now, if you remember in April during the draft, Roger Goodell had, had said on day three of the draft that he was going to auction off a Monday night football package where you could go to his house and sit on the fabled brown leather couch and watch a Monday night football game with him. Of course, the bidding started. Dave Portnoy jumps in, and he wins the bidding. He ends up by, I believe he bid 250000 and that 250000 is going to go to charity. Portnoy bid 250000 He had the winning bid. He announced this weekend that the NFL did a background check on him, and they're they're rejecting his his bid in essence. Although that they're they're willing to take his money and donate it to charity, but the bottom line is, even though he was a winning bid, he didn't pass a background check. Now we all know Portnoy's history with Goodell in the NFL. What are your thoughts on this? See, I think to me, and I'm not a Dave Portnoy guy or a barstool guy. I've I've come to embrace Portnoy more in recent years, but for a long time I didn't read the site and I wasn't. I wasn't necessarily a fan of his. I don't have a problem with him. I just didn't care. Mm -hmm. But I have a real issue with this because while I understand he's had a history with the league before, especially a couple of years ago in the Super Bowl, how how do you how do you reject his bid? 
he he had the winning bid at two hundred fifty thousand dollars. How can you legitimately say that he he not only had the winning bid, but he deserves to watch this Monday Night Football game with Roger Goodell? I think the thing stinks all the way around. So I have two problems with this. First of all, like you, I'm not a huge bar school guy. Uh, I kind of grew out of it once I got out of high school and college, and um, I don't really think they provide very much for sports. But that aside, first and foremost, um, the background check is BS. They knew damn well who he was um, long before they did any background checks. So uh, that was asinine to kind of see and hear what they actually put in writing to him. Um, that's just ridiculous. And then, uh, again, I'm with you. Just have the freaking guy over. Um, you look so much better if you, you know, you go along with this. Throw the damn clown T-shirt on. Whatever you need to do, man. Just take the two hours and and it's all over. Now he's just got another war on his hands. You gotta you gotta assume. Yeah, I I think that to me the NFL is being petty here. Look, I understand Roger yeah. Goodell has an issue with Dave Portnoy, and that's fine. And and I know that Portnoy has ruffled some feathers in the league office, but again, give me a break. He had the winning bid. He's donating $250,000 to charity. Just let the guy come over and watch a Monday night football game with you. I mean, how thin-skinned are you, Roger Goodell? Seriously. I mean, I think the whole thing is stupid. It's petty. And, yeah, Portnoy does have a checkered pass. So if this is a legitimate background check, I, I get it. But, I mean, come on. Even, if, even with what they know about him and the issues that they've had with him, I think this would be a pretty nice mea culpa for the league to say, you know what? We've had some issues in the past. You're one of the biggest media brands in the country now. We're not necessarily looking to form a partnership with you, but if we extend the olive branch, the two of them watch the game together, maybe it'll temper some of the anti-Roger Goodell sentiment in New England and around the league. And at least, you never know, it could lead to some kind of a burgeoning partnership where maybe Portnoy respects Goodell more and maybe down the road, there can be some kind of a working relationship. But I think the league is being petty here. And Portnoy has said he's still willing to donate the money, but of he's course, not yeah. going to get the opportunity to watch the game with Roger Goodell. For what it's worth, I don't think that's going to – I don't think that would be much fun anyway. Goodell's not exactly <laughs> fun. He's kind of a no, duller. No. He's like eating a Werther's, okay? <laughs> There's not much there. I mean, he's playing. So I don't think that Portnoy's missing out. On, on not watching some probably mediocre Monday night game in the middle of the season in Goodell's basement on, on his old cracked brown couch. <laughs> Leather couch, might I add. All right, anyway, I, I do want to shift gears here now and, and enter the world of college football. And, of course, at New England Football Journal, one of the things we try to do is we try to really focus on Boston College, UMass, Harvard, uh uh, the Ivy Leagues, uh, URI, right. New Hampshire, Maine, you name it. We really try to spread ourselves out and cover all the um, FBS and FCS programs around the region. And I want to talk a little bit about, and we've talked about this throughout the last few shows about Boston College in particular and recruiting and how during these difficult times with COVID, you have to get really creative with your recruiting and, and, and how you use social media. And look, I got to say, You've mentioned it a bunch of times, and I've kind of been lukewarm in my response to it. But Boston College right now, Kevin, has 15 hard commitments for the class of 2021. And they have the 32nd ranked recruiting class for 2021 in the country right now. Here's the thing. That's pretty damn impressive. And I've been critical of Halfley locally with recruiting. 
But I will say this. I think that's pretty damn impressive. When you think about the fact that he's only been on the job about six months, less than six months, we've had a pandemic, and somehow he and the staff that he has put together has managed to cobble together, despite the circumstances with, with, with no visits, not meeting with recruits, whatever else, they have managed to put together the 32nd ranked recruiting class in the country for 2021. That's pretty impressive, man. No, absolutely. And I think it speaks more so even to his staff, the staff he put around him. Um, look, the experience they have, we've written about it, we've talked about it. You've got, well, just an incredible amount of knowledge from NFL to college experience and, you know, on down the line. Um, so I think that's an easy sell for the coaching staff. But, um, again, just kind of piggy- piggyback off that, what they've been able to do in such a short amount of time and, and again, not being able to have the, the true recruiting process. Um, I think that's more about the entire staff as a whole than just Halfley. But, uh, no, it's been incredible. It really has. And, and again, look, as I said earlier, I'd like to see them develop more of a relationship with the local coaches. And I think that's going to happen. You know, I thought you made a good point a couple yeah. of weeks ago that that's really not going to be able to happen until we get back to some semblance of normalcy because mm-hmm. then they can get into these high schools. The assistant coaches can. They can develop relationships with the head coaches. Halfley can be out there developing those relationships with the head coaches. Uh, they, they can they can be accessible to the coaches in, in, in terms of clinics and camps and whatnot. So, I think locally it's going to take more of that so that he can build that trust and that foundation can be laid to where they can keep local kids here. But when you talk about target areas, the DMV, New York, the Midwest, uh, the, the Atlantic, South Atlantic, they've done a really good job of recruiting. And it's not just the kids that they've gotten commitments from. There's a lot of kids that they're in their top five, top six in some instances. So it's a tremendous, tremendous job when you consider the fact that a lot of it is being done over the phone, uh, via Zoom, and via social media. It's a a credit to not only Jeff Affley and his staff, but also uh, that the staff that's in place in terms of social media and media relations, uh, Jason Baum, uh, Joe Sullivan, those guys, it's a real testament to them. They've done a great job. Now, Boston College isn't the only program in the area, the only FBS program that's also had some recruiting success in recent weeks. We talked about Walt Bell and his staff doing a great job at UMass last week securing a couple of commitments. They got two big local commitments this past weekend uh, when tight end uh, Ryan uh, Momesso from Nobles, and uh, I'm sorry, Ryan Mosesso, rather, Ryan Mosesso from Nobles, and wide receiver Eni Falaye from um, Williston, uh, Northampton, both commit to UMass this past weekend. Now, Masesso is a big commitment from them. I mean, he's a big target, 6'5", uh, 250 pounds, 245, 250 pounds. He, he's, a, he's a kid that could really develop into a TE1. Uh, Falaye is a kid who has – he's another three-star recruit. He's another kid that could potentially develop into a number one or a number two receiver, a starting receiver. So Walt Bell and his staff have done a tremendous job when it comes to recruiting not only Massachusetts, but also recruiting the DMV, an area where they have strong recruiting ties and other parts of this, uh, of the country. But what they're doing locally, I think, is really impressive. And I think it's going to bode well for them moving forward. So I, I'm not old enough to really remember 
the heyday of UMass, you know. Um, but I, I would love to see, you know, this continuing them to, to kind of build everything back up. I mean, um, as we know, the Boston College, you know, following here is huge, but um, UMass is often very underrated. And um, this kind of recruiting week and, and month and just period in general, um, I think it's huge for football, specifically college football here in, in Massachusetts. No, I agree. But, but I mean, again, I think, look, it's been a tough go of it for UMass. And obviously in recent years, whether it be mm-hmm. Mark Whipple or last year under Walt Bell, but I think it's so important if Bell and his staff, and they have done a really good job of this. They've done a really good job of connecting with the, with the high school coaches in Massachusetts. And yeah, they understand, yeah. they understand that some of the elite kids in the state, they're probably not going to be in, in the running for, but, there's still a lot of talent here. Again, as I mentioned, when you look at the two recruits that they added this past weekend, both of them have the potential to be impact players for them, provided they maintain their commitment and they go to UMass and they develop and they play. They could be impact players for Walt Bell and his staff in the coming years. And I think that's important. You know, I mean, look, it was no secret when you looked at the UMass football program last year. A lot of their issues were up front. They were not very good on the offensive line or defensive line. I think Bell and his staff have done a nice job trying to fortify those two areas. But he's a spread guy. He's a tempo guy. He didn't really get a chance to play the way he wanted to schematically last year. I think he's added enough skill this offseason to where you could start to see UMass finally playing that up-tempo style of football that Walt Bell wants to play, the style of football that made him an appealing candidate to the UMass administration, because let's face it, in this day and age, that's the style of play kids want to play in. They, they, that's the kind of offense they want to play in. They don't want to line up in the eye and 21 personnel and pound the ball downhill. They want to catch the ball in space and make plays. And, and Bell's offense will allow them to do that. It's an 11 personnel-based offense. And I think he added two really nice pieces that are going to help the development of that offense and down the road, hopefully, the development of that program all right i do want to wrap it up this week uh again i kind of want to go back to what we opened uh the the podcast with which is just talking about what's going on in our country and i can't help but but say kevin that i I think that the response by the football coaches community has been tremendous i think football coaches and coaches in general regardless of what the sport is i think they understand athletes that that come from different backgrounds and, 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 you know, that are diverse and that are white and that are black and, and, and whatever else. I think they understand them more than the average person does. And I can't help mm-hmm. but be impressed with what the response that we've seen from our head football coaches around here. I mean, Jeff Halfley talked about what's going on in our country today with, with race relations, Walt Bell, man, that was really impressive when he tweeted out last week and, and just yep. talking about how he's feeling. And I think that's what's important here. And I mentioned this at the start of this podcast, where the communication piece is important, being willing to talk things out. And I couldn't help, but but I couldn't be more impressed with both Halfley and Bell and the response from the local college football programs around here in regards to what's going on in our country. I'm completely 100% with you. Um, even some of the high school coaches as well, uh, I've seen some good stuff from them too. But um, And like you said, they understand that it's, you know, it's a responsibility, but um, I think it's even kind of more, more amplified now um, during the recruiting process too. You know, when you're, you know, you have kids 
you know, looking at your social media and, and seeing where you stand on things too. So um, I think it's, it's, again, like you said, it's been, um, it's been very impressive what the coaching, the coaches around here have done uh, at multiple levels. And, and I think it really does help that, that discussion kind of grow. Um, Cause you got to think a lot of this is being talked about um, in those recruiting sessions as well um, that we talked about. Again, you've coached both high school and college, you know, um, it's not just about football and those in those conversations with parents and kids. So um, I think the social media aspect of it is huge right now. Yeah, and no, and you're talking about parents. They want to know that their kids are in good hands. Right. So when exactly. you walk yeah. into those living rooms, and, and whether it be a member of your staff or if you as the head coach walk in there to mm-hmm. seal the proverbial deal, they want to know ultimately that their son is going to be in good hands, regardless of, of whether or not they're white, black, um, you know, Hispanic, wherever they come from. You know, they just want to know that their child is going to be okay when they leave home to go off to school and play college football. And and I think when you hear the way, particularly Walt Bell, Bell really, his, his yeah. tweet last week and him sharing his thoughts really resonated with me. When you it hear that, well you got to feel pretty good, uh, you know, about your child or, or your, your son being a student at UMass. But you also have to feel pretty good if your son makes the decision to commit to UMass. That, uh, that he's going to be in good hands. And, and I think that's all we want. As a father, I can tell you that's all you want for your child. When they're not with you, you want them to be in good hands and you want to trust the people that are that are educating them, that are coaching them, that are looking over them. And, and seeing the response from both Coach Halfley and Coach Bell, if, if you know parents have sent their sons to those programs, I, I'd say that they'd have to feel pretty darn good right now about, about the, the program that they're – you know, sons are involved in and, and the people that are leading their sons, because I thought it was pretty darn impressive. Well, that's it for this week's episode. As always, you can find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. You can find me at UFTBJ and you can find Kevin Stone at KStone06. For Kevin Stone, I'm John Serenitas. Until next week, stay safe, stay healthy, and we'll talk to you then. Peace. See ya.